0: Throughout this summer, we've been journeying through the book of James together. And uh, James is a book in the Bible. It's a letter written by the half brother of Jesus, James. And let me give you a little overview of the book of James, okay? You ready for it? James is tough. James is tough tough, y'all. Like, if you are like me, and you've read through this book several times this summer, you have realized that his teachings are tough. Like, he comes at people. He comes straight for your heart. He is not a gray area kind of writer when he writes this letter. No, James, um, man, he gets straight to the point. He, um, there is no black and, there is no gray whenever you're reading through. He is very black and white in his teachings, and um, throughout this book of James, as we've been um, reading together, you'll find out that he is a straight, shooter, like he is calling people out for the way that they are living or choosing not to live, he is coming at people of today and reading through the book of James and through this series, it has felt like a pretty tough series, I don't know about you, but it has been challenging my heart, it's been convicting me as we've been reading through this letter together, I've been like, wow, I got some work to do. Like, man, I, I got to look a little bit more like Jesus each and every day. I got to try to be who he's actually created me to be and live out my faith. And so, um, man, as we are reading through this book, just to let you know, like if you feel like it's a tough message, it's because it's a tough message. And today, this passage that we're reading together, um, just a little disclaimer at the top, it's going to make you feel a little uncomfy. It's going to make your hands maybe sweat a little bit today. You're going to be like, James, call me What? James said, what? Is he talking to me? Who does he think that he is? Like if you are really easily offended and you read through the book of James, you are going to be offended. Um, But today, man, I just want to let you know this is going to be a little bit more challenging message. Like I really wish that I had the really encouraging message for you today that God just loves you and, and we just took a really easy summer and just talked about the love of God. But But we are talking about the love of God, but we're talking about the love of God as James is calling out the early church. He's calling out early Christians and he's calling out you and me. And so if you feel a little uncomfy today, it's okay. Just reach over, grab your neighbor's hand. It's probably going to be sweating just like your hand and just say, we got this. Okay, we got this. And I'm just kidding. Don't do that. That'd be weird. Unless you're sitting next to your honey, y'all can hold slimy hands all you want. But... But today is going to be a fun morning, y'all. Um, man, we're going to be in James chapter 4. So if you have your Bible or a phone that can transform into a Bible, we're going to read it out loud together. I got my Bible right here. We're going to pick things off. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 10. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. This is what he says. It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. I wanted to start at the top by just reading that all the way through because I want to let the word of God speak before we ever say anything else. And even if sometimes the word of God makes us a little uncomfy, we got to deal with these issues that he is bringing to light. And so James, he starts off, he says, What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? I love that he starts with this question. Have you ever asked yourself this question before? What causes conflict in your life? What is the cause of conflict in your life? Like have you ever thought about in your marriage, in your dating, in your friendships, in your working relationships, in, with your kids, with your parents, with your neighbors, in your church? Have you ever thought about what is the cause of the fights that you find yourself in? See, what James is getting at is that life is not a playground, but it's a battleground. How many of y'all know that? And whether we realize it or not, we are at war. See, in 1941, the world was at war engaged in the Second World War. If you remember reading about it in history class or learning about it in college or maybe you've seen one of the hundreds of movies that have been made about World War II. And and in the midst of this war, um, the U.S. had been choosing to hold out and to not engage in the war. They were kind of sitting on the sidelines, not choosing to fight for peace and, and get into the game and fight for what's right. They're sitting on the sidelines. And if you've ever seen the movie Pearl Harbor... There's this scene where President Franklin D. Roosevelt, he's sitting with his cabinet and he's addressing his cabinet and he's talking about this war. And he says this, how long is America going to pretend the world is not at war? We're building refrigerators while our enemies are building bombs. Well, if you remember the story of World War II, FDR was right. There was an enemy, the Japanese, who had been planning for months a surprise attack on U.S.'s naval base in Pearl Harbor, Honolulu, Hawaii. And on December 7, 1941, a date which lives in infamy... 353 Japanese fighter aircrafts ambushed the base with bombs falling from their planes. Torpedoes were sent underwater to hit their battleships. Bullets were raining from the sky and we see this just disaster take place where all eight of U.S.'s battleships were completely destroyed. Four were were sunken. Um, we see that over 188 of U.S.'s aircraft were demolished. and 2,403 American soldiers lost their lives and over 1,100 more were wounded you see today whether you realize it or not we are at war and it's a war that if you do not acknowledge if you do not fight back against if you do not choose to engage in you will lose there will be casualties because hostilities exist and you'll end up building refrigerators while your enemies are building bombs see in this life we cannot afford to lose the war inside If you're taking notes, the title for our message today is The War Inside. You can write that. There's a little sheet of paper on every single chair. Take some notes with that today as we're going through this chapter together. He says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. Y'all didn't know you were going to be called murderers today at church. Like you're like, oh man, I'm showing up. Man, he called me a murderer. He says, so you murder, you covet, and you cannot obtain, so you fight. And quarrel. James is saying, hey, just to be clear, you are the problem. He's saying it's that you are at war with you on the inside. There's something destructive on the inside of you that's wreaking havoc from within. And this is where James gets uncomfy because he's saying, hey, the fights that you find yourself with people around you, I need you to know that it's a result of the war that is waging within you. It's that you are selfish. It's that you are full of pride. It's that your passions, your desires are waging war against you and it's fleshing itself out in the way that you interact with people. Think about 2020, 2021, what has felt like a war, right? Felt a little bit like a war zone, riots on the streets and in cities and even at the Capitol. The most polarizing election that anyone can even remember, Trump versus Biden. Just saying their names, what causes some tension, maybe even to rise up within you. Protests on every corner, families at odds with each other. A pandemic that fueled division and frustration and fear and death and isolation. Households split, businesses closed, mask or no mask, vax or no vax, school or no school, in person or online, stimmy or no stimmy. Racism or reconciliation, the list goes on and on. And what James is trying to make clear to the church and to you and to me is that the reason that there is a war among us is because there is a war inside of us. There is a war inside of us and the war inside of us is what's fueling the fires of the wars around us. The Bible talks about this reality that we are at war with our flesh. Our flesh, that's one of the wars that we fight on the inside and now our flesh simply refers to our sinful nature our sinful nature that we are prone to rebel against God and the essence of our sinful nature is selfishness. It's pride. We inherited this nature from Adam and Eve all the way back in the garden. The first humans that God created and God created them in his image and everything was perfect and they had this great perfect relationship with God and with his creation, but they chose to rebel against God. They chose to give into their passions, their pride and their selfishness. And in that disobedience, what? Sin comes and enters this world And every person, every generation since Adam and Eve has fallen under this curse of this sinful nature. It's passed down to each of us whether we realize it or not. And this is important for us to realize because some of you, many people believe that when you trust in Jesus that your sinful nature, your flesh just kind of goes away. Maybe someone's told you before that, man, if you would just trust in Jesus that life's going to be cupcakes and rainbows, everything's going to be perfect. Man, you're never going to battle with that sin anymore. You're never going to battle with that temptation. But that's a lie. That is false hope. Jesus does come to make you new, give you a new heart, to give you new desires. But you are still going to battle with your old sinful nature. And the Christian life is about pushing away, saying no to my sinful nature and saying yes to Jesus every day single day we are justified by Jesus we are called a son and daughter by God but we still are going to have this battle there's still going to be this war fighting against what used to be fighting against our old sinful nature have you ever heard the saying hurt people hurt people hurt people hurt people it's because there is a battle being fought on the inside that if not cared for if not addressed if not reconciled will find its way out in negative actions and will cause destruction in our lives we fight because we're selfish. Do we get that? Like, we are wanters. We want all the time. We want our own desires. We are all about me. And if left unchecked, our desires will find themselves fleshed out in some pretty nasty ways. Like, what is it that just ticks you off? What is it that makes your blood boil? What is it or who is it that just gets under your skin? And what James is asking at the very beginning of this chapter. Is that could it be that the very thing that is causing anger to rise in you is you? Could it be that you are the problem? See, when we don't get our own way in relationships, what do we do? We pout. We become silent. We we maybe whine, or we choose to gossip, or we tear someone down, or we accuse, or we hurl insults, we call names, we argue, we yell why because we want and when we don't get our way, what do we do? We rebel. We fight. Doesn't it sound a lot like toddlers, what toddlers do? Like if you have kids or you've ever been around kids, you know what I'm talking about. Like one of their first words is, mine, mine, mine. And if you've ever doubted like whether or not we're all sinners, whether or not we really have this sinful nature, like just look at a child like, yeah, they may have the little angel faces, but there is a demon inside some babies. You know what I'm saying? They can get fierce and they can be little mean. My son um, Hudson He's not mean, I promise he's sweet, but he is almost three years old, and my daughter Hadley, she's one and a half, and typically they play super well together. They love each other so much, and yesterday um, we took a trip to Costco, because Saturday mornings are... Me and the kids, we go to Costco because I love Costco. And one of the things I love about Costco is that they've got those double-wide shopping carts. You know what I'm talking about? Where you can't just fit one child there. You fit two kids on that shopping cart because everything is bigger at Costco. And so we go through Costco, and I like to walk down every aisle. I like to have a whole experience, and the whole time... I love just getting to talk to my kids and play with them as we're going down these, car, down these aisles. And as people see my kids, they're always like, oh, they're so sweet. They're so kind. And, and uh, yesterday, um, they were, in fact, sitting next to each other. And I posted this picture on my Instagram. And, and this is, I was trying to capture it, but that's Hudson and Hadley. And they were kissing on each other, hugging each other. Hudson would turn to her and hug her. And then she would hug him. And then they'd kiss each other. And they were having this just loving little moment right there. And I'm trying to capture it and post about it. And and uh, and I even said they love each other. And y'all ever heard of like Instagram versus reality? Well. That's what happened on Instagram, but what I didn't post is that two minutes later, as we're walking down another aisle, um, Hadley had hit Hudson and then she grabbed, Hudson had these little like toy fish that he was carrying around Costco and she grabbed the fish and she threw it on the ground. And so Hudson's yelling, mines, mines, mine, cause he can't say mine, he says mines. And he's yelling mines and he's he's like whining cause it's on the floor and Hudson's just, or Hadley's just looking at him like, what are you whining about? And then she takes his other fish and so they're just going at it. And and I'm sitting there in the middle of this like wondering where did the hugs and kisses go? Like what is happening? Why? All because they will love each other until one person chooses to take something from someone else. Until their desire is no longer met. Like have you ever heard of the, uh, the toddler property laws? Toddler property laws. Like this is, I'm sure some Pinterest mom came up with this list and she put it on there and shared it around. But this is toddler property laws. It says if I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. And then he continues on, if I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. If it looks like, if it just looks like mine, it is mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If you're playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. If it's broken, it's yours. (laughs) How true is that for toddlers? But if we're honest, isn't that true for us as adults too? just looks a little different. Like ours goes something like, if you don't agree with me, you're wrong. If you post something I don't like, I will let you know in the comments or I will unfollow. If you voted for him or her, you are uninvited. If you went there, did that, saw that, hung out with them, are friends with them, then we no longer can hang out. See, we do the same things all the time. Because we are at war on the inside, fighting against our pride, fighting against our selfishness. And see, James, as he's writing this letter, many people believe that he's writing this letter to Christians, the early church, who he thinks are very immature in their faith. He's calling out some childish behaviors in the church, and he's calling them to mature, to grow into Jesus, to grow up into him. And he's addressing the reality that there has been some conflict that is pretty childish within the church, and he's pointing out that the cause of this conflict can be found in every individual who does not realize that they're at war, that there is a war going on inside of them, and then lets their pride lash out at other people. He's talking about this conflict that has found its way into the church, and now if I can be honest, as I've been working on this message, I felt this tension on talking about this conflict that that the church was having because, like, we're not even a year old. And like praise Jesus, God is so good that in the midst of these 10 months or however old we are at this point that God has been so faithful to protect us from conflict in our church. We haven't had to deal with any crazy major conflict yet but here's the T, if we live our lives ignoring the reality that we're at war, we're gonna lose the war. And church, we are not going to lose this war of conflict See, I believe one of the greatest tragedies of 2020 was that the church found itself fighting with each other, fighting amongst the body of Jesus rather than fighting against sin. We let our preferences, we let our ideas, we let our ideologies come at odds with each other, even within the church. And that can't be the case for us. We want to be a church, Elevate City, who fights for unity who fights to lay aside our pride, to lay aside our preferences, to put to death our prejudices, to slay selfishness and fight for each other in love. That's the kind of church that we want to be. See, the struggle inside of us is real. And we've got to fight to be a church that does not let the war inside of us come against this house. So how do we take And so just like we take supplements, you you know how you take supplements to avoid getting sick. We as a church, we got to be aware that as a faith family, we cannot let conflict creep in and have its way with us. We have to recognize that we are at war. And if we don't recognize that we're fighting a war within us, we'll be in a war that we cannot win. See, when you recognize that there's a war within you, it helps to give you perspective. When you find yourself in the midst of an argument with your spouse or with your boyfriend or girlfriend or with that with your child or with a neighbor, when you find yourself in those arguments and you recognize that you're in a war, well, that gives you perspective to realize that they are not your enemy, that you are fighting something within you and they're fighting something within them too and they have a war within them and you have a war going within you and if you recognize that, it'll give you perspective to show all the more grace, to be all the more kind, to show so much more compassion and mercy towards people if you recognize that that is where you are and that is what you're going through. Do you recognize that you're at war? Like I think if we were to each scroll through our Facebook or Instagram accounts in this past year and do a little inventory check, what would we find? We would find a lot of us that, man, it's pretty clear we're at war with the things that we choose to like and not like, the comments that we share, the things that we post. Do we have a heart of humility or a heart of hostility with our presence on social media if we went through a record of all of our conversations this past year private and public what would those conversations look like would they reflect a heart of peace and gentleness and understanding or would our conversations look a lot like pride and jealousy and disunity and anger and bitterness See, I think we would realize that we are at war. And what James is trying to get us to understand is that the fights that we have externally are a result of the war that is happening within us. And every fight, I love how one songwriter says this, every fight comes from the fight within See, some scholars think that what James is doing in this letter is he's bringing to life the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' teachings when he gives this incredible, the greatest sermon ever preached. And what James is, when he talks about this conflict causing us murders, causing us to murder, when he's calling us murderers, what he's doing is he's referencing back to when Jesus compares you being angry with your brother, you hating your brother, to murder. He's saying if you have thought that, if you have hatred in your heart, that is Murder. And so you may quickly read a passage like this and be like, no, nah, he ain't talking about me. Let me move on. Let me just like, this doesn't apply to me, Joe, what you're talking about. I don't really struggle with this. But what we got to understand is that our thoughts matter too. Maybe you didn't actually send that email. Maybe you didn't actually post that comment. But if you thought it, if you wanted to, if there is anger in your heart, if there is a war waging within your soul, maybe you didn't express that anger, but bitterness is still in your heart, then you are at fault. See, if we're going to win the war inside, we've got to learn to trade hostility for humility. That's so what James is talking about in this passage, trading hostility for humility. Because selfish desires are a dangerous thing. He goes on, he says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly and you spend it on your passions. Have you ever prayed for something and then wonder why God didn't come through? Like, have you ever gotten that lottery ticket and you just hold that lottery ticket and you just pray over it, God, if you would just let me win this 100 million dollars, then I promise I'll give you half of it. 50 million. it's yours. Just God, please let me win. Have you ever done that? Just me? <laughs> Maybe you have prayed and asked God, God, if you would just give me that raise. God, if you would just help me get that new job. God, if you would just give me that boyfriend or that girlfriend. God, I'm waiting for the one. God, if you would just come through with me, then I will do this. Have you ever prayed like that before? See, the reality is, is that God oftentimes will choose not to give us the thing that we're praying for because he knows that we have the wrong motives. He knows that deep inside we can't handle it. He ain't going to give you that lottery ticket if he knows that you already don't handle your finances the best way. If he already knows that you are not generous, he's not going to give you that relationship if he knows that you cannot handle it, if you're not ready for it. And so we've got to recognize that how we pray and if we pray with the wrong motives... God is not going to give us that thing that we're wanting right then because he wants to prepare our hearts and he understands that what's happening in us is causing a war to rise. See, prayer is essential to the lives of Christians and if we find ourselves praying selfishly with, and if we find ourselves praying for things with our own selfish motives and desires, then we're not gonna get the answers that we're hoping for. See, the purpose of prayer is not to see your passions fulfilled, It's to see God's purposes realized in your life. And if we want to experience the power of prayer in our lives, we got to start praying with hearts of humility, hearts of gratitude and gladness. Here's the beauty, though, about prayer. Is that prayer not only reveals what's going on in our hearts, what we pray for, what we pray about, how we pray. But prayer also has the power to change our hearts, to shape our hearts, to move our hearts. See, we wage war against our flesh through prayer. We fight the war inside through selfless prayer. There's not only a war that we're waging with our flesh, but we are also at war with the world. He calls us in verse 4. He says, you are a you adulterous people. Welcome to church. Again, if you're taking notes, murderer, adulterer, check. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. See, we're at war with our flesh, but we're also at war with the world. And when I say the world, what I don't mean is that like oak trees are out to get us and hippopotamuses just want to eat us. No, 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 no. Like what I'm saying is that there is this war going on that we have with the world. The Bible talks about do not love the world or the things in it. When we talk about the world, we're talking about a worldview that is opposed that is hostile to God's reign, a worldview that is hostile to God's rule. See, the Bible, it talks about God being the one who created us, God being the one who designed us, God being the one who gets to call the shots, God being the one that gets to determine our steps and our days, God being the one who is in control. And any time that we get to a place where we are living outside God's design, God's intent for his creation, anytime we live opposed to his worldview, his design, We are loving and befriending the world. Anytime we worship the created rather than the creator, we are loving, we are befriending the world. And what James is saying is that when we love the world, when we befriend the world, we are at odds with God. It's as if Christianity is this pool and and we're trying to a lot of times just dip our toes in. You know, we want to be able to hang out. On the outside, hang out on the patio, but we also want to just get a little taste of the pool, just cool down our toes a little bit. But what he's saying is, no, 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 you got to go all in or all out. You cannot be both. You cannot love both God and the world. See, James compares this friendship with the world to adultery. He says, you adulterous people. And when he says this, It's to get at this idea that the Bible depicts the church, this reality that the Bible depicts the church as the bride of Jesus which means that every single follower of Jesus is married to Christ and should be faithful to Jesus forever. The Jewish Christians reading this letter would have understood this idea of this uh, spiritual adultery because their prophets wrote about this idea. They had been called adulterers before. Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea had written to the nation of Israel and had called them out for this adultery before. And he had said, hey listen, you have given into the world. You You have chosen to follow your own desires, to follow the patterns of the world. You've chosen to worship other gods, to worship false gods. You've chosen to follow their beliefs and their rule and their reign and when you do that you are committing adultery against God. Do you not realize that you cannot say that you love God above all else while also loving the world and the things in it? And so whenever he uses this language it would have brought to remembrance all of the failures of the Jewish people's past that they were now starting to relive today. And he's saying you are caught up in the same cycle and it has to stop. Jesus, he says, I am not of this world, but yet we try to be as much like the very thing that he says he wants no part of. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot love the world, be like the world, and live for Jesus. If you're not all in, he calls this spiritual adultery. See, this book, the Bible will always be our filter for how we see the world, not the other way around. This will always be our filter, not our feelings. Our feelings are not our filter. This book is our filter for how we see creation, for how we see life, for how we see marriage, for how we see everything that we, that we encounter in this life. This book is our filter, not the world, not the other way around, not our emotions. No, it's this book The Bible that calls the shots. And one thing we've got to understand about this war that we're in is that this is a war that we cannot win on our own. Do you realize that? It's a war that we cannot win on our own. That's why James continues on. He says, verse 5, do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us? And then he says this, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I love that after James is done throwing punches, he throws in this incredible reminder about the heart and the grace of God. He's saying, hey, remember this. God is for you. God is for you. He is for you that even when you mess up, God gives more grace this world may try to get you to believe otherwise that God isn't for you that he is against you that he doesn't have the best things in store for your life but what James is telling us and what he's trying to remind us today is that God is jealous for you he's jealous for you for your affections for your heart because he loves you and he cares so deeply for you God's bend towards you is grace Did you know that? His bent towards you is grace and more grace and more grace. And yes, he stands opposed to pride and selfishness, but yet he gives more grace and he covers that with more grace. He gives grace to anyone who would humbly come to him. See, picture this, grace and sin competing in the Olympics. And before sin can even fill up the water cooler, grace has already ran laps around sin it's as if sin is there at the starting block trying to tie its shoe, and grace has already won the race. He's already made a lap around sin. Grace and more grace and more grace is what is in store with the person of God, the character of God. See, does anyone else need more grace today? Especially when you read through the book of James, you're like, oh my gosh. And he says, but God gives More grace, more grace. And the grace that you needed yesterday may be different than the grace that you need today. And the grace that you need tomorrow may be different than the grace that you needed today. And so what he's saying, hey, in case you're just wondering if grace is going to run out, he's saying there is more grace, there is more grace, there is more grace. But God gives more grace, grace upon grace. See, the paradox in this teaching is that God wants us to depend on his grace Whereas this world and your flesh and the enemy wants you to depend on yourself, wants you to try to do things yourself. God wants you to depend on him. Like, have you ever noticed that this world is trying to sell you this load of be anything you want to be? You can do it. You've got this. You can make your dreams come true. You control your destiny. You can do anything that you want to do. Be anything that you want to be. We live in this era of do-it-yourself theology. That if we just work harder, we can accomplish anything, do anything. In this world, it wants to inflate our ego and encourage us to do things our way. But what God is saying is, no, 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 no. It's the humble that will be exalted. See, the Bible is the story of people trying to do things their own way. Have you ever noticed that? Story after story of people trying to do things their own way and it never ends up good. Adam and Eve, remember we talked about that? They decided to do things their own way. And what is the result? Sin and death and hurt and pain and disease. Look at the story of Noah. God had to flood the whole earth. Why? Because the earth had become so wicked and selfish. They had screwed everything up trying to do things their own way. So he said, wipe it out. Tower of Babel. What they tried to build this tower to be like God, to get as high as the heavens. And what does God do? He makes it crumble to the ground. God wanted to be Israel's king, but then Israel wanted to be like the rest of the world, Israel wanted their own king because all the other nations had kings and God's like are you sure you want that and they're like yes we want that and he's like but you don't realize like I'm your king and they're like no no no, we want a king give us a king and God's like okay cool well I'll give you Saul and then I'll give you David I'll give you Solomon but what you got to realize is that all of these kings are going to fall short and they did time and time again they committed murder they chased after other gods they were unfaithful they did not live as God had called them to live that's the story of the Bible man trying to do things their own way and experience devastation and destruction, but then God comes through time and time again and rescues his people. The story of Jonah, God gave him a mission, but then Jonah, he, he, he disobeys God. He tries to run away from this mission, and so God sends a fish, eats him, swallows him up in this fish, but what does God do? God, in his grace, he rescues him. In his grace, he saves him. See, There is, God in his grace wastes nothing. And in his grace, he can take any situation, any failure, any shortfall in your life, and he can turn it for your good and for his glory. And just when the world tries to tell you like, just try harder, work harder, study more, dream bigger, be the real you, you can overcome any obstacle that comes your way. God and and history would tell you that you cannot on your own. But he can, but he can. And he will. And when you mess up, and when you can't win this war on your own, God is saying, I can come through where it seems like there's no way I can make a way. And if you would just trust in me and trust that my grace is sufficient, trust that my grace is enough for you, you can find yourself in any situation, but you can be sure that I am with you and that I am for you. Romans 5.20, it says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. See, sin is strong, but grace is stronger. Your sin is no match for the grace of Jesus. And so with a humble heart, what James is calling us to do is to come and receive the life that he has in store. And so what does that look like? Verse 7, he gives us very clear instructions. He says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. See, we're not only at war with our flesh and with our world, but we're also at war with a real enemy, did you know that? Satan, he is real. The devil seeks to steal, kill, and destroy your life. He is after keeping you from Jesus. John ten ten. Jesus says that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. God and the enemy have different desires for your life. God wants you to draw near to him, to submit to him. And the enemy would love to do everything that he can to steal, kill, distract, to keep you from God. We've got this war that we're waging against the enemy. And so what do we do? James says, first, submit to God. Submit. This word submit, it's a military term. And it means to get into your proper rank. Which if you know anything about the military, what there are ranks going everything up from private all the way up to general. And if the private tries to act like the general, there are some problems. Private can't be acting like the general. And so what James is saying is you need to get into your proper rank. Get in line. See, submission requires humility. Humility. It requires lowering yourself, yielding to God, yielding to someone else. It means letting go of your control, letting go of your pride, giving it to God. See, we live in a world where no one wants to submit. No one wants to submit. No one wants to submit to authority. No one wants to submit to the Bible. No one wants to submit to God. Why? Because it makes people feel uncomfy, right? It makes people feel uncomfortable. It requires humility. It requires admitting that you might be wrong. It requires admitting that you are not on your, uh, enough on your own, that you do need help, that you need someone else. See, if I don't have to submit to God, I can live my life how I want to live it, right? I can live how I want to live. If I don't want to submit to God, I can live out my passions and my desires and my wants without ever having to feel conviction for the things that I'm doing. But the problem with that belief is that your wants and your passions will never satisfy the longing of your soul. They will never be enough. They will never be what only God can be for you. And no matter what you choose to submit to or not to submit to, nothing can satisfy what only God can. Nothing can deliver the love that only God can. Nothing can deliver the security, the joy that only God can. And you can choose not to submit to him, but until you do, you will always be searching for more. You will always be wanting more. There will always be this void of meaning and satisfaction in your life. And so in order to win the war inside, we've got to submit to God. Submitting to God looks like trusting Jesus to lead you, to guide you. Surrendering to him, giving him your heart, trusting in him as Lord. It looks like laying aside your ways to walk in Jesus' ways. It looks like laying aside your plans and your desires to say, Hey God, I am trusting you and I'm going to follow you first. Jesus when he's talking to his followers he says why do you call me Lord Lord but you do not do what I tell you to do see submission looks like trusting and obeying trusting and obeying and notice how the how James he says first submit to God and then resist the devil like a lot of times we want to do the reverse right we want to try to resist the devil flee from him do everything that we can on our own first but but no he says submit to God resist the devil and he will flee from you And I believe that's there on purpose because we will not be able to resist the devil without first submitting to God. Because if God is not leading you, you will not even be able to resist the devil. And if you do not submit to God, he will not flee from someone who is not first submitted to God. See, the way that we resist the devil is by submitting to him. It's you refusing, resisting to give into the enemy, to give him a stronghold. Do you realize that if you're in your proper rank, the enemy will have no place? He won't have a place beside you if you are in line, in your proper rank, submitting to God. See, passive believers, they don't resist. They allow the enemy to have their way, to have his way. But we want to be followers that fight to follow, that fight to grow closer to God, to not be pulled away. You will not win the battles of your life without first submitting to God. You need him. That's what James is saying. Submit to God. And then he says this, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He's just throwing some more punches, y'all. But remember, there's more grace. says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. See, Listen proximity to God produces peace in your life see what stops our fights is wanting who God is first is what stops our fights is finding our soul satisfied in him first James is saying draw close to God how do you do that through Jesus apart from Jesus we cannot approach God on our own because sin separates us from God but what did Jesus do He makes us clean. Apart from Jesus, we're not clean. We're not pure. We're not able to draw near. But Jesus, because of his blood that he shed on the cross, he makes a way for us to approach God. The veil was torn. He gives us access to God so that we can draw near to God. And did you know that Jesus is standing next to the Father? He's seated next to the Father and he's advocating for us. He is fighting for us. He is looking down and he's saying, hey, remember Joe, look at Joe, look at what he's doing. God, would you just give him more grace? right now in this moment he is advocating for us on our behalf he is fighting for you and with you see we fight by choosing Jesus and by realizing that Jesus is better than what this world has to offer Jesus is better than our sinful nature Jesus is better than the temptations of the enemy he's better than all of this see we fight the war inside with the power and the presence of Jesus And notice that this is a promise too. It says draw near to God and he will draw near to you. See, could it be that the reason that you don't feel near to God in this season is because you have not been drawing near? Like maybe this summer you've let your schedule just get all out of whack and you have not been spending time with God. You have not been opening up his word. You have not been seeking him in prayer and meditation. You have not been looking to him. You have not been submitting to him. And could it be the reason that you don't feel that he's near? And whatever situation you're going through is because you have not been choosing to draw near to him. And so what if you chose to draw near to him in prayer Every night and every morning, seeking his face through his word, talking to him. Talking to him about the things that you're struggling with and giving these things to him as you draw near to God. James, he wraps up this section in verse 9, he says, in 10, he says, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he Will exalt you. See, the solution to our conflicts in this world is not emotional numbness. It's not just like we pretend everything is okay. The solution is to become awakened to new desires. It's to come to God broken by our sin and trade what what this hostility that's among us for humility. See, it's only when we're broken by the reality of our sin that we receive the joy of salvation. The world would rather us, what, just be okay with sin? Man, it's not that big of a deal. Man, if you just do it one time, man, you shouldn't really feel bad for that. But what James is saying is, no, be broken. Weep about your sin. Fall to the ground, hit rock bottom, and cry out to God. He's saying sin is nothing small. Sin is a big deal. And if you do not choose to weep, if you do not choose to recognize the severity of sin, you're not gonna be able to receive The grace that God has in store for your life. He will not exalt you if you do not first humble yourself, crying your eyes out. See, to win the war inside the way up is down. It's only until your knees hit the ground that God will lift you up. God is waiting and he's ready for the moment that you would just cry out to him and say, God, I'm done with this sin. I'm done with this conflict. I'm done with the fighting. I'm done with trying to do things on my own. God, I need you. And in recognizing the severity of our sin, we just call out to him. Do you know how to receive one of the best ways to receive something great is to open your hands it's to open your hands my kids they're always running around with things in their hands whether it's a toy or some food or some snacks or whatever it is they are not walking around the house empty-handed lately it's been a pool noodle it's kind of ridiculous But they always have things in their hands. And one of the things I've tried to teach them since they were little is that when they come to me, say that I have a treat, some gummy bears or something sweet for them, something great to give them. When they come to me, I will not give them what they want if their hands are full of something else. If they come to me wanting some Sour Patch Kids and they come to me with hands like this, holding on to other things, I'm not going to give them that. But they've learned to drop whatever is in their hands. And when they want something from their father, they'll reach out with arms lifted high and with hands wide open. And they know that their daddy is going to bless them and their daddy is going to give to them everything that they need and want in that moment. See, the reality is, is that so many of us, the reason why we maybe don't feel like we're getting what we need when we come to God, the reason why we maybe don't feel like this conflict's getting resolved, the reason why we maybe don't feel like God is near to us when we draw near to him, could it be that we're approaching God like this? God, would you change me? While we're still holding on to that sin while we're still holding on to that grudge, while we're still holding on to that bitterness, while we're still holding on to that resentment. God, can you help me? And what if what he's waiting for from you and from me is for us to drop everything that we have, to lay aside our pride, to put everything else to the ground, to drop that sin, to drop that argument, to forgive that person, to put it to rest, and to come to him with open hands with arms lifted high, willing to receive what he has for us. That's the way that we receive the gift and the joy of salvation. It's surrender, surrendering to Jesus, saying, God, I'm done trying to do things on my own. Jesus, I need you. I want you. And what if we start to come to God with open hands to say, whatever it is, God, in my life that Is maybe keeping me from you. My hands are open. You can take it. You can have it. You can do with it what you will. I'm submitting to you. I'm getting in my proper rank. I'm falling in line. God, would you have your way? The way that we win this war inside is by opening our hands. It's by humbly coming to the Father and saying, God, I need you. You can have it all. You can have all of my life. You know the reason why when we worship, we We lift our hands. God's word tells us to lift our arms, to open our hands to heaven. Why? It's because it's this act of first surrender to say, God, have your way in this moment. God, have my heart, work in my heart. It's also a way to say victory. God, I believe that the war has already been won. I believe, God, that you are fighting for me and you are fighting alongside me and you have already gone. And won the greatest war. You've defeated death. You've defeated hell. You've defeated the grave. And so when we approach God in worship, we approach God in need. When we call out to him, we lift our arms. We open our hands and we say, God, have your way with me. Amen. That's what James is calling for the hearts of every single person today. Let's pray together. God, I know that there's some battles that are being fought today. God, I know that we are all at war with our pride. We are all at war with our selfishness. We're all at war with our desires that are within us. But God, I pray that today we would take this instruction that James has given us to submit to God, to submit to you, to resist the enemy, to seek the purification that comes from Jesus and the cleansing that comes from Jesus for our hearts and to experience the joy that you have for us, the grace that you have in store for us. God, I pray today that our hearts would break for what breaks yours, that our hearts would be broken over the sin in our lives and that we would choose to open our hands to lay whatever it is aside to receive what you have for us. God, I know there's some people here today that, maybe don't yet know you. And I believe that today you're calling them to surrender their hearts to you. And so if that's you and you're here today and you've never made this decision to first surrender your heart to Jesus, I just wanna give you opportunity. Everyone's eyes are closed and heads are bowed, but I want you to just have a moment with God and, and you can just pray a prayer like this, pray this prayer, say, God, I need you. God, forgive me of my sin. I'm laying aside my pride. I'm choosing to surrender to you, Jesus, to submit to you, God. I believe, Jesus, you died for me. I believe, Jesus, you rose from the grave. And I'm trusting in you as the Lord of my life. God's Word says that if anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And so if that's you today, man, we would just love to take a moment to to give you an opportunity to respond, to acknowledge that, to mark this moment. And so I'm going to count to three. And on three, I would just love for you to raise your hand, whether you're watching online or you're here in this room. It's just an act of surrender in this place today. One, two, three. Three, if that's you, would you just raise your hand in the air, trusting and believing in Jesus today for the first time? Amen, 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 amen. God, can we, guys, can we celebrate believing that someone here in this room, can you make some noise, and someone online has just surrendered their life to Jesus for the first time? God, we love you. We're grateful for your grace and we worship you in this moment. And God, I pray that as we sing to you, as we draw near to you, would you change our hearts this morning? Cause us to take close clenched fists and open our hands to you today, submitting and trusting in you, Jesus. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' powerful name and everybody said, amen.